0: at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started.
1: Well, good weekend to all of you. It is great to be back with you here at uh, Erickson Covenant, and uh, so glad to be joining you for this series in First John on what matters most. And uh, the question for this weekend is really a personal question, and it's simply this, what will be my story Now, knowing Erickson Covenant, uh, we're a place of great stories. We're a people of great stories, good stories, uh, challenging stories, um, and we love to tell and hear a good story. We don't live our lives as a list of things to do, uh, or a set of principles, or our life is not some kind of billboard or freeze-framed photo. Instead, our lives unfold, and they unfold day by day like any story. Uh, There are characters in our story, there are plots, and there's tension, there's twists and turns, there's often good people and sometimes bad people, and we are thrown into the midst of it all. That's the nature of our stories. And one rabbi years ago said that the reason that God loves people is that God loves stories. We are all stories. Your life is a story. But here's our question for this weekend. What kind of story do I tell, or what kind of story will I tell, or what kind of story must I tell? What is your story? You've been journeying as a church family, and we've been journeying through First John. And John the Apostle uh, is seeking to get our attention about the kind of story that we are actually called into. Uh, it's not unlike Frodo and Sam Gamgee and the Lord of the Rings in the midst of the journey when things get really dicey and it seems that they have lost their way that a question is posed where uh, one of them says to the other, what kind of story or adventure have we fallen into? No doubt the believers of the first century must have wondered many days, what kind of adventure have we fallen into? What is this story really all about? And in First John chapter three, verses 11 to 18, uh, John takes time to frame for us the nature of our story, and he begins in verse 11 with a declaration which really could be paraphrased in this way. "This is the story. Love one another. This is for John the first principle. Uh, this is the main thing. In fact, in the letter, uh, of John and the epistles of John, forty six times he mentions love. So that should be a, a a cue for us, a clue that John really centers for us the matter that our story is to be about love. And he makes the point that this is not a new command, this is not something new. He says, you've heard this from the beginning. In chapter two verse two, he says, this is an old command. it's not new. In Second John, verses 5 and 6, he says, you've heard this from the beginning, that we are to love one another. What must our story be about? John notes, it's certainly a matter of faith and belief, but to this he says, we must add at the center of it, love one another. This is nothing less than the intention of God for his world. This world is to be a place of love. It's a place of community. It's to be a place where love for one another is in the air. So how do we get better at writing every day the kind of story where this is central to the plot line? This is central to the storyline. And here's where John is uh, fascinating in terms of how he lays this out in the verses we're looking at this weekend. We must be aware that our story can unfold In more than one way, our story can unfold in different ways. It can be a story that unfolds in such a way that it is a delightful story. Uh, John, when he starts the letter, says, We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He wants the story to really be a delightful story. But the story can also be potentially disastrous. And so John begins by reminding us, this is the story, this is what you've heard from the beginning, love one another. And in the letter to this point, uh, John has made it very clear that there are these kind of two paths that represent uh, two uh, general overarching ways in which we can live. And if you read the letter, you'll note that John talks about light and darkness, He talks about the way of truth and the way of lying. He talks about righteousness and lawlessness. He talks about doing what is good, and he talks about doing what is not good. He frames in the verses just prior to the uh, verses we're looking at this weekend, that there are those who are children of God. And then tragically, there's another path where there are those who are the children of the devil. After this passage, he's going to talk about there's a path of acknowledgement that Jesus has come in the flesh and that Jesus is the Son of God. And there's another path that people can walk where they do not acknowledge. They deny that Jesus has come in the flesh and they deny that Jesus is the Son of God. And at the center of the letter is this. John says we can walk a path of love or we can walk a path of hatred. In verse 12... He lays out for us the danger of a disastrous path. He writes these words, do not not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So in a few brief words, uh, John summarizes what is recorded in Genesis 4 in 18 verses in the record of Genesis story of Cain and Abel, a story that many of us are familiar with. It is the first family of humankind and two brothers. And they come and offer to God their sacrifice, and Abel offers to God a pleasing sacrifice, and Cain offers to God something that is not pleasing to God. This is not lost on Cain. He sees Abel as one who is commended, and he is angry about this. He is upset. He is envious of his brother. He is jealous of his brother. And that envy and that jealousy and that anger begins to boil and boil and boil. And he murders his brother. So John says, Do not be like Cain. Don't murder your brother. If people read Genesis 4, uh, most of us would read Genesis 4. And if someone asked you, What's the point of this story? Most of us would step back and say, uh, Don't murder your brother. But there's actually in the story much more than the end state, the disastrous state of murder. There's much that precedes that. And so John is saying, do not be like Cain in the ultimate end of taking a life, but don't be like Cain in the run-up to that. This is John's point. Then he says in verse 13, "Uh, by the way, sort of a a note that is put in here, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. So this is John's way of saying we live in a world where there are people who walk different paths and there are canes that exist in the world and when they're in the presence of what is good and what is right, they often will churn within because that's not their path And there can be anger, and there can be jealousy, and there can be envy, and that envy comes through as hate, and that can tragically come through as a world force that may want to take you out. He then adds this, we know we've passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in a place where death reigns. And then John says this, anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. I believe John here is echoing uh, the words of his master, the Lord Jesus, who in the Sermon on the Mount said to the gathered uh, flock there, uh, you have heard that it is said, thou shalt not murder, but I tell you, and then Jesus says this, if anyone says to another person raka or fool. You are guilty of murder because in those words, you are taking life from someone. So John has in mind here more than simply the end state of murder. And he says, you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. What John wants to say is that there is a Cain story. And this Cain story is... A story that we are to turn away from. We are to reject entirely. And the Cain story does end in the taking of a life. But we need to be reminded that this story begins with Cain engaging in that worst of all loves, and that is self-love. Loving one another is a matter of rejecting and avoiding a false story, the story of Cain. And self-love is where it all began for Cain. Self-love is that small seed that can grow up to the larger plant of Cain's ultimate actions. You see, he cared little about honoring God or giving God his best. He was actually just living for himself. And the first family was really off to the races, but it was the wrong race because the first family of Adam and Eve, in terms of Cain's actions illustrates the matter of the real peril and danger of being self-absorbed and actually just selfish. Because that selfishness is what then opened the door for envy and jealousy to be present. That envy and jealousy then opened the door for hatred to go deeper and deeper, and that hatred ultimately led to the taking of a life. Larry Crabb makes a point about this issue of the human race getting off on the wrong foot. He wrote a number of years ago the following, the human race seriously got off on a wrong foot when Eve yielded to Satan's lie that more satisfaction was available in life if she took matters into her own hands. When Adam joined her in looking for life outside of God's will and way, he infected all of his kids and their kids and their kids' kids with the disease, the awful disease of self-absorption self-management, and self-will. From the garden forward, the sad story has been one of mankind, born physically alive but spiritually dead, seeking life, but seeking life in another way, seeking life from their surroundings, seeking life from themselves, a life course that was self-devised, self-directed, self-made, and self-absorbed. And the conversation stopper, according to Cornelius Plantinga, in a marvelous book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, says, So often in our world and in our lives, the conversation stopper is this. The heart simply wants what the heart wants. Cain wanted something. He didn't get it. And he became angry. And he was jealous and envious of his brother. And that self-ascendant, where the self was central, led to a move against life. And in fact, against the life of another. And what follows was no surprise is no surprise. You see, self and selfishness left unchecked bursts bitter envy. Uh, jealousy has a cousin, it's called hatred, and hatred gives birth to anger, a hatred given room to reign brings forth a taking of a life. Uh, In fact, Brutal Myrtle, the final move against life. So this is the Cain story sort of tightly put together by John. Don't be like Cain. Be very, very aware of what can happen when you have an unguarded heart. And you allow your heart to go down the road of wanting what your heart wants. In your relationships, in the midst of other people. And what it does is it plants a seed in us that can turn over time and take us deeper and deeper to the point where we we want the person to simply be removed. A number of years ago, Ernest Hemingway wrote a book called The Sun Also Rises. In this book, he has a character who is asked the question, um, and sadly he's had a turn in his life, but he's asked the question by some people, how did you go bankrupt? And this character's response is classic. He thought for a moment and then he said, Gradually, and then suddenly. That particular story, that brief little line, gradually, then suddenly, is the road that Cain traveled. How did Cain end up taking a life? He got there gradually, and then one day, suddenly. More recently, there's been a popular series that has been played in the 2008 to 2013 or 14. It was uh, created by Vince Gilligan. Uh, some of you may have seen it or heard of it. It's an intriguing uh, made-for-TV series called Breaking Bad. Uh, the actor Bryan Cranston plays uh, a person called Mr. White, of all names. He lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the story arc involves Mr. White, a man who goes from being a very decent civil servant uh, to becoming an outright murderer, but he does so gradually over the years in showtime. The show relates to the concept of the slippery slope. The slide is usually slow. It's almost imperceptible. And it's the sad story of Breaking Bad. Cain is the story in the early days of humankind of Breaking Bad. He gradually makes his way from being envious and jealous of his brother to a point where he wants to take his brother's life, and he actually does. This, sadly, is a part of the story of humanity. Little kingdoms, wherever self is enthroned, wherever the self is king, always leads to a world of hurt. And this is where Jesus came declaring another kingdom, the will and the way of God's realm, and it is an affront to every and and, and all other kingdoms. And John desires to represent this other way to those who read his letter. And he simply wants to remind them there is a story that is very real. It's a Cain story. You can walk down that path. Be on your guard. Do not be like that. Be aware of how easily we can slide and slip our way to very, very dangerous places where we are gripped by hatred. And John says, this is not the road we're to travel. What he writes in John chapter 3 and the verses that follow is he says, uh, he, and I think he's aware of the fact that his, his, those who read his letter and are hearing his words may wonder, well, John, then what story should we tell? And he says, I want to have you think of the Christ story. Not the Cain story. I want you to think of the Christ story. Verse 16, he says, this is how we know what love is. He begins in verse 11 by saying, this is the story, love one another. You want to know what love is? This is what it's all about. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. John is moving from do not be Cain to an invitation to live a very different story. In fact, the Christ story. From the beginning, this has been God's intention. How do we get our heads around what love is and what love does and how love operates? John says, you know. It's centered in this. Jesus lived a story, and what a story it was. He laid down his life for us. And so, he goes on, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. For John, the Christ story is a breaking good story. We know the Christ story. Christ lays down his life. It is the ultimate achievement and end of his earthly ministry. He ends up on a cross. And it's there on the cross where he lays down his life for his creation. But like the Cain story, we need to just remind ourselves that how did Jesus come to that place of laying down his life. Gradually. Then suddenly. Because when we take the Christ story, it begins, and Paul in Philippians 2 reminds us of this, that Jesus in the incarnation came to his creation, his world, and he emptied himself. His earthly ministry began with Jesus entering into the fabric of humankind. And what is Jesus doing? He is surrendering himself. There is a self-surrender. Jesus emptied himself. He took upon himself the form of a servant. And that selfless surrender led to caring concern. That caring concern led Jesus into kind actions day by day and month by month and year by year. And that kind action culminated in Jesus laying down his life. Cain takes a life, Jesus gives his life away, and that is the drastic, dramatic difference between the Cain story and the Christ story. It's a story of breaking good. If the Cain story is a death story, the Christ story is a life story. For John, love is the proof of life. Love is a vital sign. It's a key indicator that we belong not to the evil one, as Cain did, but we belong to God. This is, for John, one of the key tests of life and faith and followership of Jesus. If my life is loveless, if I am filled with hatred, it is time to check my heart for who I belong to. This is quite a story, but I want to want you to be careful to note that it does begin with self-surrender. We jump ahead to the ultimate end, giving of his life. If I'm a person of love, I must be willing to give my life for someone. Not so fast. There may be very, very few of us who ultimately give our lives for someone and express such physical courage to actually surrender our very life to save another. But all of us can live a life of self-surrender in the moment-by-moment moment moment, uh, warp and woof of our days. The story is told a number of years ago of D.L. Moody. He was a famous evangelist, a sharer of the good news of Jesus in the uh, turn of the last century, the early 1900s. And he was visiting Milwaukee. He was an evangelist. He was doing a crusade there. He was once asked if he would ever have the courage and strength to give his life for Christ and to be burned at the stake. D.L. Moody's answer was no. No. Uh, To which the reporter asked, don't you wish you had that kind of faith? And his response was, no, because I don't need that kind of sacrifice and faith right now. What I need right now is enough courage and love and strength to live in Milwaukee for the next three days. John would have us see and accept that the true nature of our decisive moments in life is, is our daily life. It's right before us. Am I willing to lay down my own interest, my own agenda, my own busyness? Am I willing to lay down some of my own time, my energy, for a person who might be right in front of me right now, who needs love? Love is often just the next five minutes. It's the next five days. Uh, It's the next day that's before you. Before we can ever give our lives, we must be willing to simply be in a posture of self-surrender to God to help another another. Before we can ever help others, we must be willing to truly notice others, and if we're going to notice others, we must deal with self. This is why our moments of truth in life are very different than we think. Chris Lowney, who wrote a book a number of years ago entitled Heroic Leadership, uh, put it this way, what are our moments of truth in life? Unlike the general heading into battle, or the coach heading into game seven, few of us experience defining moments, dramatic defining moments in life. Rather, our defining moments are often simple, small patterns slowly etched through our lifetime. A life studded with ordinary opportunities to make subtle differences. And self-surrender, as with Jesus, is our first small step that is vital. E. Stanley Jones who is remembered by the church in India as perhaps the greatest Christian since the Apostle Paul, said it so well. He said, you know, all of the outer sins and problems of my life and your life are really only the fruit. The unsurrendered self is the root. The outer signs are symptoms. The unsurrendered self is the root. The Cain story begins with self-love. The Christ story begins with self-surrender. So, the question this weekend is this What is your story? What is my story? Uh, Really, we have three stories in view here. We've talked about Cain, we've talked about Christ. We have to also take some time to think about our own personal story. And this perhaps is the question that is posed to us, that was posed to Cain Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? Uh, That was answered by Cain in a way where he was simply trying to dismiss it. What do I have to do? What do I care about others? That is not the answer that pleases the heart of God or makes our joy complete. John says, that's why I wrote this. I want your joy to be complete. We are one another's keeper. We are to love one another. We are to be about a story of love. And we must do so in a certain way. I want to draw your attention now to the last few verses. Because John says, you, we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. We are to lay down our lives for one another. But then John does a little twist. He says, if, if anyone has material possessions. So this weekend, every single one of us, Uh, If you look around your home, you look around what's in your hands, in your life, in your home, in your family, we all have material possessions. So John's beginning now to get into something pretty personal. He says, if you have material possessions and you see someone, a brother or a sister, and they're in need, and there is no pity. There is no compassion. Compassion is a word that carries with it the idea of turning towards someone in mercy. If you see someone and there is no turning for you towards them, how can the love of God be in that person? And then John, in classic style, speaks with a very, very tender heart and says Dear children, let us love not with words. Not with speech. Let us love with actions and in truth. This matter of laying down our lives is the matter of taking whatever we might have in the moment of a given day and realizing it is ministering capital that God has given us. And you never know what you're going to encounter. But to make your story of one in which you go through your day with open heart, open eyes, open hands, and you're alert to the fact that in the next day there are going to be people crossings, there are going to be intersections, there are going to be conversations, there are going to be sightings. And what do we do with those intersections, those people crossings, those sightings? John says make sure... That you don't go to the, the out of words, or just a nice speech, or posting something, or hashtagging something, or spouting some slogan. It's a matter of actually walking up to the need and doing in that moment what love must do, act, do so in truth, which is action is actually true love. Speeches are not true love. Words are not true love. It is actions that matter. It is actions that count. Many years ago, Teresa of Avila said this. She said, one must remember that there is more than one way to be in a place. So in our place, in your place where you live, realize what John is saying here in these verses we've looked at, there's actually one, more than one way to be, be in the place of your world. And I can choose to be in the place of my world in a very selfish way. If I do, I'm, I'm going down a path that ultimately steals joy and blessing, not only from my own heart, but from the hearts of others. Or I can be in the place of my world in the posture and presence of love that goes beyond words, goes beyond speech, And seeks to actually touch a need and lift someone, encourage someone, enter into the need of someone and in this way to be all about the the story that we are called to live. I close with a story. And this story is a reminder to us. We may be sitting here this weekend and you think, well, what is my story? And and most of us say, boy, I, I can think of my past, and I wish I'd lived my past in a different way. Um, The good news is to realize that every day is day one. Uh, This is a new day. Uh, Your Monday is a new day, and every day is day one. Every day is an opportunity for you and for me to start afresh and to realize that every day is a new canvas, a fresh canvas upon which we can write a new story. And it could be a story of love. Dudley, who wrote a book entitled, This Is Day One, uh, tells the story of a fellow that he met who shared his own personal journey through learning what it was to love. This individual said he moved to the big city. He was raised in a country, a uh, small country town, and went to school at a community college in a small country area of a state in the U.S., and uh, for the first time, he moved to the big city. He'd never been to the big city before, and uh, he said, when I got to the city, big city of Chicago, uh, my first day to work, I'm driving down the road. I come to an intersection, and I see a guy there, and he's got a sign. He's holding up a sign. And I realize what's on the sign, and it simply refers to the fact that he is homeless. I had never seen a homeless person before in my life. So I see this guy, and all of a sudden, I don't know what to do. I'm looking around, looking down, looking over, and uh, before I know it, the guy's next to my window. He wraps my window. I roll my window down, and the guy says, hey, hey, new guy, don't worry about it. He says, uh, you're new here, aren't you? And he says, Yeah. And he says, Well, he says, You don't need to worry about it today. Not today, my friend. It's all good. Uh, but I want to tell you one thing. He says, I, I, I've i lived in this city for a number of years. You need to promise you, me you will not let this city get you down. W- deal? And the guy sort of nervously said, uh, He shook his head and said, Deal. And he, the light turned. He he left. And And so the next day, he was at the same intersection on his way to work. And the guy is there, he yells at him and says, hey, new guy, said he beat you down yet? And I said, he said to him, no, not yet. Not me. He gave a huge smile and said, I told you never. Then I gave him a buck and he wished me a good day and I just kept moving down the road. This became what the two of us did every day. And I found out that the guy's name was Larry. And I'd save whatever change was from my morning coffee stop, and every day he'd see me and he'd yell, hey, new guy, city got you down yet? And I'd say, nah, Larry, you? And he'd always reply, I told you never. And he would take the little bit of money I'd give him, and he'd wish me a good day, and he would move on. So this goes on for about a year. Then one day when I pulled up and held out a dollar, he shook his head and he sort of said, I, I, I'm not going to take it. You know, man, hundreds of people drive by me every day, and they won't even make eye contact you've given me money pretty much every day I've ever seen you. You know what? You've done your share. Keep it. We'll pick it up again tomorrow. This fellow tells a story. says, I don't really know why I reached into my wallet, but I grabbed everything I had. It was about 60 bucks and I held it out to him. How about today? I said, I do my their share instead. It was weird because he didn't take the money right away. He just stared at me. And then right before it turns green, he sort of he hesitantly took the money and he nodded and then just walked off. There was no have a good day. There was nothing. But we kept up our little ritual of has the city beat you down thing every day. And then about two years after the time uh, with the 60 bucks, I was driving by the intersection and uh, there was someone else in the car with me. It was a, a girl I was dating and it was our third date. I, I really liked her and I was thinking, I, I don't want to mess this up. So we stop at the light, and Larry sees me, and he starts heading over. And I'm a little nervous because I have no idea what my date is going to think of my homeless buddy, Larry. And Larry goes right over, not to my window, but to her window, and he leads down. And he smiles at her, and he says, "Hey, my, my name's Larry. I don't know if that guy over there is the only person in the world who knows that, but I, I want to tell you something. He's the only person who has asked my name." In the past four years. You should know that since I first saw him scared out of his mind at this intersection three years ago, he has given me exactly $1,521.68. One day he gave me 60 bucks. It made me feel like a person. It made me feel like a friend instead of a charity case. You should know you're out with a very special guy today. Don't mess it up. And then he walked off. This person who tells the story says, The night that I asked her to marry me, my wife told me that that was the moment she knew she was going to say yes, if I ever did ask her to marry her. Drew Dudley tells this story, And he poses two questions. And I think they're questions for us to think about as we now move into the living of our lives here in Creston, wherever it is that you may live. And the two questions are simply this. Number one, what is my dollar? What is your dollar? Uh, John refers to it as material possession. What is my dollar? But the second question is where it really gets real. Who is my Larry? Only you can answer that. We all have Larrys. You may meet your Larry this week. Whenever we do, may we be about the living out of a story, the greatest story of all. May it be a Christ story because from the beginning this is what God intended for life to be all about. For us to join Him in loving the world. And You can't love the world without loving Larry whoever that may be. Let me pray for us as we conclude. Gracious God We thank you this day for your word that challenges us, that spurs us on, that prods us, that prompts us to examine our hearts, to examine our lives, to examine the road we are on, and we thank you today for these words of John that come to us over the ages, that prompt us to walk a path of your design, your desire, your will. It is a path of love. Father, may we discover something about living such a life and living such a story that it is in this story that we find our joy coming to completion. We pray that we may be your men and women, agents of grace, mercy, and love, in the days that are ahead of us. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And feet to respond and hands to hold out to those in our world who need love. May we love not in words, not in speech, but may we love in actions and in truth. For it is to your glory and to your honor that we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.